Open your Bibles, if you would, to Isaiah 55. And we will start out with the same scripture that started our lesson that launched us into this theme of living waters this year, this week. And it starts out with the words, ho, ho. Well, if you were from Jersey, you'd say, yo. (laughs) If you're from California, you'd say, hey, hey, hey. Everyone, if you're from Texas, you'd say, y'all, y'all. Ho, y'all, hey, everyone, and that means everyone, who thirsts, and truthfully, everyone does thirst. He says, come to the waters, to thee, that should be capitalized, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. And what's wonderfully radical about that is what the Lord offers money can't buy. The world isn't selling and money can't buy. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me. And eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me, he says. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. Lord, we just hear you speaking speaking that to us, grabbing our attention because you have something to say. Lord, we love it. We love it. That you want our hearts to delight. You want us to be showered with mercies. And God, we need it. And so tonight we pray that loud and clear that you would send a message to each of our hearts and break us of the habit of going anywhere else. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as we began by reading Isaiah 55, I was thinking about this. I read it over and over again. And I was thinking about sometimes we struggle, don't we? We struggle when we don't understand what God does or sometimes what he doesn't do. Sometimes we struggle when we don't understand his ways. And we say, why? Why, God? We sometimes ask. But then sometimes we need to know that all of the heavens must look down at us And ask the very same question. Why? 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 Why do those foolish people forsake their own mercy? Why do they do that? You can see the the angels looking at each other. Huh? I can't figure it out. It's a question I think is sometimes asked. I remember one time I got... I did something bad. I can't remember what it was, but I do remember that I was, I was getting ready to be spanked. 
And my dad was, he did occasionally spank me, but I only when I really needed it. And I think at this time I really needed it. And he was one of those fathers that always said, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And he always had tears in his eyes. But every single time, especially if it was something stupid, he would say, so why did you do that? And then there'd be silence. And then he'd ask it again, why did you do that? And I can remember it like yesterday, thinking, I don't know. Because I'm stupid. I don't know. It, it, was, it was a mystery to me. Why, they must wonder, why do those foolish people ignore the goodness of the Lord that's so close and available? Why are they so often like stubborn sheep that prone to wander and go their own way, even though time after time, when they do that, they get a handful of gravel, wood, hay, and stubble. And and they don't find green pastures, even though they're close. They don't achieve those still waters, even though the Lord would love to take them there. Good question. And so we begin with our lesson again, this question, why do you spend your resources and energy and hopes and desires on empty pursuits. Sometimes why, when we really had it on our mind to do Bible study, that we fritter the time away and do meaningless, odd little things. And again, the day ends and we haven't really Spend time in prayer. We haven't really talked to the Lord. We haven't really opened our Bible and and listened. In Jeremiah um, 2, Jeremiah recorded God himself asking a similar question again. And God is speaking and he says, Be astonished, O heavens. Be astonished at this and be horribly afraid. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug out their own wells. They have hewn themselves cisterns that are broken and that cannot hold water. Two sad, sad things. So let's take a moment to ask ourselves the age-old question. Why do we sometimes settle for cheap substitutes? Why are we like the foolish sheep who think, surely, surely the grass is greener. Somewhere else besides where I am. Somewhere else. Surely I don't have what I really need. I cannot be satisfied here. Why do we live so much of our lives with the feeling that the cup is always half empty and forgetting about the portion that's half full? Why do we do that? Why do we thirst is another question. Is it sinful and futile to have desires and longings? Well, There is an important answer to that. God created thirst. Yes, he did. Thirst is not the curse from God. Thirst is the gift 
from God. Physical hunger and thirst are God's natural gifts to us. They awake us to the need to fuel our physical bodies and make sure we don't get dehydrated. If we had no thirst, we would do nothing about our need for water. Physically, your body is 50 to 70% water. That's a big percentage point. And, and what does that water do? What does that fluid in your body do? It carries everything. The oxygen that you breathe in would stay at your, in your lungs if the de- blood did not carry it fluidly to your fingers and your legs and your toes. You would not have oxygen to your body. When you eat, the blood carries, the fluids carries that nutrients throughout your whole body. You need liquid. You cannot survive without it. You can survive weeks without food. But if it's really hot, you can only survive days without water. You will dry up. A few years ago, I read an article that said when you get up, when you first get up in the morning, that your blood is kind of like mud. Who knew? And and that's the reason that that we get up and we feel kind of sluggish. You know, sometimes it's hard to get going. And and the reason is it's hard to get going when your, your blood is mud. And so the suggestion was, first thing, go and drink two glasses of water right then. Just do it. And it thins that water blood out, that blood out, gets things moving, where you get oxygen to your brain and you can think. And that's better. <laughs> I drink two cu- glasses of water now, first thing when I get up in the morning, and two cups of coffee. The perfect combination for me. Yeah, so. Um, also, I notice when I drink water, the more I drink water, the more I want water. I also read a while back that oftentimes when we have a craving and we think we're hungry, we're not really hungry, we're thirsty. And if we would drink water, that's what our body is wanting to replenish itself. Hunger and thirst are God's gifts to us. But if we ignore our thirst for God, and if we develop a taste for the wrong things, that thirst can drive us to where? The wrong places, right? Leaving us more empty. Now, who can say amen to that equation? Who has gone through an experience in your life where you, you push God aside and you let your desires and your hungers drive you to fulfillment in the wrong places? And boy, is that a crash. A few hands in that row are raising here. Yeah. So, so what is God's heart for us tonight as we study this theme? What does he, what does he want to say to us for us to learn in these verses one after the other about thirst, about water, about he, what he does about, about it? There are terms in these scriptures, and I hope that you read some of them. I read all of them. My pages were, were just, there was no white on any of the pages um, after I did my homework. There are terms like desert, 
wilderness, poor, needy. And I believe that those are are terms that, that some of you could say, that's part, at least part of my life. I have a part of my life that's poor and needy. I have a part of my life that feels like the wilderness. I feel like I'm struggling. I feel like I'm, I'm not making it on all facets of my life. I'm missing something. And I think that's the common, common part of our human dilemma, that poor and neediness, desert and dryness. But then, just side by side, those kind of terms, there's God's extravagant offers that are just right next to the needs. And he uses terms and images like pools of water, springs coming up out of rocks, Gardens, pastures, flourishing trees, along with those outward images. I hope that you did not miss the wonderful internal results which were tucked in many of the corners of these, of these scriptures. Terms like joy and gladness and delight and singing. I'm very sorry to say that quite truthfully, I don't see enough of that in my own life. And I don't see enough of it, not this kind of abundance that God was promising in anybody around me. Not enough of us. So something's missing. There's a gap there. And I believe if they would say, if I was in Texas, I would say God is fixing to fill that gap. He's fixing to say, this is not what I have for you. I have more. I have more. And I want to do something abundantly extravagant. I want to fill you with joy. I want to fill you with delight. I want to comfort you. I want to get to that. Those needy and dry places for you. He wants to make it personal for you. In Isaiah 44, God himself says, I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants, my blessings on your offspring. This is an important promise that we need to read and believe and cling to and expect. Why? Because like I said, sometimes we look at portions of our lives and we feel like they are dry ground, barren and dry, like nothing is going to change there. It's just too dry, and it's been dry for a long time. There are always some facets in our life that seem like that. The, but, and and, and the, the hard part about it is no matter what we do, what we do, we can't seem to change it. This can be true in, in portions of our life, like with our children. In portions of our life, like in our marriages, 
or in an important relationship, in a family or a friendship. It can feel true in our efforts, in our efforts. Like we, we just can't seem to do things right or enough. This can seem true in so many important areas. With this all in mind, I want us to read Isaiah 44, turn to it, 3 again. Isaiah 44, 3. Again, he says, I will pour out water. Pour out water. Not drip out water. I will pour water. And I believe that he wants eye contact right now. He says, I'm talking to you. I'm talking, I'm aiming at that place. Tonight, I'm aiming at that place. And I'd like you to take your paper and you write two, two, in the margin or on your paper, write two things that you feel is dry ground, barren ground, hard ground. Maybe it's an area of your heart. It's an area of unforgiveness. It's an area of pain. Write two areas. What area? Do you feel it's dry and hard? He says, I, I want to pour water there. That's where I'm going to go. Right on that very place. And floods, not just dripping water, not rain. I'm going to flood on that dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your descendants. That was an important promise to me this week. God has a good word for us. I can look back. And I hope you can too, some of you. Look back at many moments in my life that were hard, were unfair or overwhelming or just difficult times came into my life. Times when I had no strength of my own, no way to navigate it out, not, not naturally, not humanly, it seemed to me at certain times, and, and nowhere to turn but to God. I hope you remember times like that. But times when I did turn to God, sometimes not quick enough. Sometimes it took me a while. Again, sometimes God was saying, when is she going to turn to me? How long does she want to go like this? But then when I did, when I cried out to him, even in the most weak, pathetic, forlorn half-believing way when I ask him alone to guide me or to provide or to comfort or to heal those very places, those very hard places are now my holy ground. They are. See a few heads shaking. They are my sweetest memories. My treasured possessions when me And Jesus alone walked through the fire. Not that there weren't other people in my life. But sometimes no one can fix it for you. But him, he met me. Moses, he discovered that. When he had no one else, God entered Joseph and Jacob discovered that. David and Ruth, Corey Tim Boom, George Mueller. All these people can testify, and that's why it's so important for us to read uh, biographies 
of other Christians why it's so important for us to read page after page of the Bible, all of these stories of people's life. We can walk in their shoe. We can feel those moments when God just comes in like a flood for them, and we can own it with them and for them and for ourselves. In those times, it was him who was their oasis, their shelter in the storm. Let me tell you a story. I came across this this week. A friend of my husband's, uh, George's, uh, sent it to him. And it's the story of a businessman And he, as he was getting older. And he knew it was time to turn over his business to uh, a successor. He called together some of his young exec- executives. And he announced this. He said, I'm going to give... Give one of this position of CEO to one of you men in this room. They were shocked, and then they listened as he continued. I'm going to give, in the beginning of this, today, each of you a seed, a very special seed. And I want you to go home and plant that seed, water it, come back here one year from today, with what you have grown from that seed that I've given you, and then I will judge the plants that you bring, and the one that I choose will be the next CEO of this company. One man named Jim was there that day, and like the others, he received a seed. He went home excitedly, told his wife the story. They bought a pot, they bought the soil, the fertilizer, and they planted the seed so excited. They had a chance But after three weeks, after they had watered and watered and watered three weeks, there was nothing, nothing. The other guys at work were talking about their plants, but he had nothing. He kept checking the seed and watering, but nothing grew. Three weeks, four weeks, six weeks, six months went by. He still had nothing. He was so ashamed. Finally, a year went by and all the young executives of the company brought their plants to the CEO for inspection. Jim told his wife, I'm not taking that. I can't do it. But she she said, you got to be honest, Jim. You just got to fess up with what happened that you tried. But he was sick to his stomach and he knew it was going to be the worst day of his life. But he went. He took his empty pot to the boardroom. When he arrived, he was amazed at all the other plants that the other guys brought in, flowers and trees, and oh my goodness. And so he sat in the back with his empty pot, trying to hide it. All of a sudden, the the CEO spotted him at the back of the room and called him up. Called him up to the front of the room after he had inspected everybody else's plants. Carried his little empty pot. Oh no, I'm going to get fired on the spot. Then Jim got to the front, and the CEO asked him what happened to his seed. He told the whole story. The CEO then asked everyone to sit down except Jim. He looked at Jim and then announced to the young executives, Behold your next chief executive officer. His name is Jim. What? What? He couldn't believe it. No one could believe it as they looked at his empty pots. How could he be the new CEO? Then the older gentleman explained. One year ago, I gave everyone in this room a seed. I told you to take the seed, plant it, water it, and bring it back to me today. 
but I gave you all boiled seeds. Boiled seeds. They were all dead. Nothing could grow from such seeds. All of you except Jim have brought me trees and plants and flowers. When you found the seed would not grow, you substituted another seed for the one I gave you. Jim was the only one who had the courage and the honesty to bring me the pot with my seed in it. Therefore, he will be the one to lead this company. What is God wanting to grow in you with all this watering he'd like to do? (laughs) Trees and gardens. God is wanting to grow you. He's wanting to grow you. At the end of this story, it says, if you plant honesty, you will reap trust. If you plant goodness, you will reap friends. If you plant humility, you will reap greatness. My grandfather was a Missouri farmer. He always had a big garden. And since he was my hero, I followed him everywhere. And I watched him. And I loved his world a lot. Uh, And I learned about seeds because he was such a gardener. Take, for instance, the bean seed. The bean seed. You can't take a, open a green bean. You can't open a green bean and take the little bean out and plant it. You can't do that. Because if you do that, it will just rot in the soil. You have to take those seeds, those beans, and you have to completely dry them out. And then they go dormant. And then the following spring, and he always grew his own seeds. He didn't buy them at the seed store. He grew his own seeds. And then the next spring, you would plant those seeds. But before you planted them, you would soak them and then plant them. Some seeds need to be frozen to complete their cycle. Some seeds need heat to complete their cycle. There's Many kinds of seeds. Most species of of plants have seeds that delay germination for sometimes months and for sometimes years in this dormant state. So you might be thinking, you drifted from the water thing. (laughs) How does this concept of drying seeds relate to you? Number one. Number one, and this, is, this has somebody's name on it tonight. There are possibly gifts and callings in your life that are yet seeds. They are still dormant in you. And they will stay there. And it's only until you are in a severe need that God will activate their life. Think of Ruth. It was not until she became a widow, a single woman, in desperate need, that all of her life moved into an entirely new realm. 
Her desire for God was awakened because she had nowhere else to look. And she was never the same. I like her story. Joseph is another example. He's a classic, perfect example. He was handsome and he was the favorite. If that bean seed would have been planted in that state, it would have gone into the ground and rotted. Just completely rotted. But oh no, God knows how to dry us up. To let us go through a hard, dry time, a baking time. It wasn't until everything was taken away that God started to shape him as a compassionate, wise, trusting God leader. Which which is exactly what he was put on this planet to be. And so I ask you, what hardship are you facing right now? What? What? And what he, what he wants to say, I believe, to all of us, embrace the fact that that hardship makes you feel weak in and of yourself. It makes you feel lonely and needy. The most important element that we find in all of these scriptures that we read in Isaiah is... It's not just our neediness. It's not just the circumstances. It's not just the abundance of water that he wants to pour out the core element that I saw time after time was him. It's him. It's him. His presence. In Isaiah 48, it says, he led them. Through the deserts. He caused the water to flow. He split the rock. So water gushed out. It was he. I love the moment in John 7. When Jesus stood and cried out. If anyone's thirsty. Let him come to me. It's you he's after. And those moments when we need him most are his favorites. And trust me, they can become yours. My nephew was a father late in life, in his early 40s. And when his little girl runs to him and wants to hang on his neck, you know how he walks around with his little girl? She's crying, oh, daddy. And he's going, he's such a doter. He's such a doter. That's what God loves. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. If you're weary and heavy laden, what's the equation? Come to me, he says, in complete desperation. But let that desperation be filled with expectation, child of God. Come to him desperately but expecting this extravagant, over-the-top filling that he wants to do. He's waiting, willing, able, and, and just more than eager to meet that need. Believe is the equation we need. 
We need to come and cry out with believing prayer. Spurgeon said, a little faith will bring your soul to heaven. But a great faith will bring heaven to your soul. You want me to say that again? A little faith will bring your soul to heaven. But a great faith will bring heaven to your soul. I believe that's true. Number two. Maybe tonight you have a child who's far away from the Lord. Let's apply this to him or her. You sometimes see them suffer. You sometimes see their heart break. You see them reject you. That breaks your heart, but the worst is when they reject God. Amen? That's it. But in Luke 15, Jesus told the story of the prodigal son. He told all the good that his father gave this boy, what did the boy do? He went as far away as he could and he wasted all the goodness that he was given. He was like a bean seed that hadn't been dried out. And so he was rotten. His life was rotten, everything about it. But then famine came and he became hungry and needy And he became dry. It was then. It was then. That somebody new. Was born in him. Somebody new. That was now sorry. Somebody new. That was now homesick. Somebody new. That was now thankful. His hunger. Brought him home. In closing. Spurgeon said. Have your heart right with Christ and he will visit you often. He will turn your weekdays, your workaday weekdays into Sundays and Sabbaths. Your meals into banquets, your homes into temples and your heart into heaven. The Sermon on the Mount talks all about that. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who hungry and thirst for righteousness, the meek, those who are persecuted. It's the neediness that gives us the kingdom of heaven. It's the emptiness that helps us see God. It's the help neediness that takes us to his resources. Paul A man who at one time had been very ambitious and very full of himself. Later in life, wrote to his young friend Timothy. And he said, something that gain is godliness. Said, oh no. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness isn't sinless perfection. It isn't being better than others. Godliness is a deep respect and reverence for a great and good God. And who will say amen to that? Lord, we just thank you that you're the one that said, blessed, blessed are we when we are poor, 
when we come to you, we get the whole kingdom. Everything you have becomes ours. And Lord, we just want to hold up our hearts to you now, and I want to hold up every dry, needy place. And I have some of my own. Feeling overwhelmed, under-equipped, inadequate, weak and distracted. And God, we pray that you would pour out your spirit like floodwaters, like gushing springs. And God, that we would see this as directly coming from you. Fill us with you. And we pray in Jesus' name. And they all said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.